can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Hey guys, this is Carmen Schober with the No Apologies podcast. No Apologies offers bold cultural content for the curious Christian, ranging from politics, church-related controversies, news stories, and just about everything in between. If you enjoy No Apologies, please take a moment now or maybe at the end of the episode and leave a quick review because that helps others find the podcast online. And you can find all of our content at www.stasios.net and Stasios is spelled S-T-A-S-E-O-S. So for this episode, I have a special guest and for once it's not Ian, even though Ian is also a special guest, but today it is Dr. Liz Jackson, who I've had on the podcast before. It's been a little while now, but we talked about a editorial in, I think it was, was it the New York Times, Liz? I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Something think like so. that. Um, and that was really fun. And today we're going to talk about her new book. But for those of you who don't remember my conversation with Liz, Liz is a brilliant woman philosopher friend I met at Kansas State uh, years ago now. Like, I don't know, what, five years Six years. It's coming up on a lot. Yeah, time flies. Feels kind of old. Been a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And uh, <laughs> she has been serving as a research fellow at the Australian National University in Canberra University, teaching philosophy. Or have you been teaching in Canberra, or just um, mostly doing so research? So it's mostly research. I am actually going to teach one class um, coming up here next month. So uh, in their version of the spring semester, their academic year is different than ours. Yes, so they actually right. don't start to March. So yeah, I'll teach a class uh, this next semester. But awesome. it's mostly it's mostly a research thing, which is which is kind of nice. It's nice to really be able to focus focus on research before starting teaching more intensely. Yes, so, because yeah. you are going on. To to be an assistant professor of philosophy at Ryerson University in Toronto. Yes, that's yes. exactly right. That's awesome. Exactly right. So very yeah. excited. Moving there and it'll be fun. Yeah, you're gonna be a great teacher. That's I. I'm thinking about that now. I only took one philosophy class at K State, and it wasn't bad. But I definitely, like, a lot of it went over my head. <laughs> so, before we dive into Liz's new book, which she co-wrote with a lot of other people, right? A good handful yeah. of folks. Yeah. Which, you want to remind people of the title real quick? I know it's kind of long. I don't want to mess yeah, up. Yeah, it's called um, A New Theist Response to the New Atheists. And basically, it's just a collection of essays written by theists. Uh, we're going to get more into all of this more soon, but basically yeah. in response to this kind of new atheist movement. Yes. Um, so I wrote one one of the chapters along with like like twelve or fifteen other people. Um, so yeah. awesome. That's pretty cool. For like you said, we are going to get into some of the specifics of the book, just because I bet you know some people out there are probably curious. Obviously, you've chosen to become you know a doctor of philosophy and religion, and to really dedicate your mind to these subjects. And so I'm sure people are just curious, what made you become so interested in philosophy and religion? Yeah, I so. For those who heard the previous podcast, some of this might be a review, but uh, I, I guess I've always been interested in philosophy from a pretty young age, although I didn't always know that that's what it was, that it was philosophy. Yeah. Um, but I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, and you know I was taught about God and Christianity from a young age, but I was always just a really inquisitive kid, and I just had all these questions about everything. And, um, and then I remember at K-State, I guess I was sort of didn't know what to major in and was thinking about a couple different things. Actually, politics was an 
option. Being a math teacher was an option. Whoa. And then, um, I know, I know. It's actually weird. I was one of those people that changed my major a lot. Yeah, um, I did but too, I remember, but never ever to math. Yeah. <laughs> never to anything yeah, related I, yeah, yeah. whatsoever to math. Yeah, but anyways. I wasn't pure math, but I always liked math. And I was like, maybe I could be a math teacher. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It was one of those. It was a short, <laughs> short little spurt. But anyway, um, I remember, I think I was like maybe a sophomore or something. And I took my first philosophy class. And I was like, OMG, these are my people. This is awesome. I was super excited. And I just loved it. And so... Then I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a philosophy major. And my parents were like, really? <laughs> so I was like, yep. Uh, and then from there, I guess I just decided to go to grad school and really enjoyed that. And it's really fun because now I'm basically just going to spend my life studying philosophy and religion. And I think that's pretty cool. That so. is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. No, where you're, where you're, I know, you know, I feel like, because, you know, I have a liberal arts degrees. And I feel like philosophy and liberal arts get put in like the same same category when people are yeah. making fun of degrees. <laughs> you have obviously gone on and done industrious things with yours. Um, but were your were your parents? You, <laughs> oh, thank you. You're trying, yeah. trying to. I'm a starving writer right now. But hey, that's that's usually why you get those degrees. I feel like most people want to yeah. do that. So I'm just I'm just right in the midst of it. Um, were your parents happy? <laughs> Did they like yeah. that you were studying philosophy? I mean, at first, I think they were pretty skeptical mm. and just sort of like, like, why? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, and like, my mom always wanted to be, like, me to be a doctor. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A medical doctor. Uh, and so I guess at first they were skeptical, but then I guess once I showed them I am really serious about this and you know, I sort of started grad school and all that. Then, then they were much more supportive. I just, yeah. I don't really remember at first them expressing a little bit of skepticism about being a philosophy major. Yeah. yeah, that is kind of one of the classic, like, <laughs> right. what are I you going to do with that? Like, be a philosopher? Degree, so. And you're like, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm going to do. No, that's awesome. I am super excited about to talk about this book because this is like a new concept to me. Or maybe it's not, but I haven't like heard it in these terms before. New atheism versus new theism. Um, so I'm just really interested to learn more about it. And I'm sure probably lots of people listening are too. So maybe we'll just start with some definitions here, um, and you can tell us, you know, what what is new atheism? When your book, when the book that you have um, contributed to says responding to new atheists, what what does that mean? Yeah. So the new atheists is a group, or you might even think of it as like a movement, mm-hmm. um, and they're generally kind of critical of worldviews that affirm God's existence, sort of critical of religion, critical of theistic belief, critical of theistic faith, um, and there's like more, I think they're called, sometimes called the four horsemen of the new atheism, which is Richard Dawkins, Dan Dennett, Sam Harris, and uh, Christopher Hitchens. Ah, uh, okay. And, yeah. See, so that's interesting, because to me, and this is probably just because I'm somewhat, you know, I'm an amateur on the subject, um, I think of Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens as like, like old, um, what's the word? Like OGs, <laughs> like like you know, like uh, the original atheists. But that sounds like they are they're in the newer category. Yeah, okay. I mean that's I guess yeah. The name is weird because it's not really a new movement anymore. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but but yeah, uh, I guess yeah. That's that, that's interesting. They are kind of OGs. Uh, <laughs> and then I guess Dan Dennett and Sam Harris are like the newer newer versions of them. Oh, uh, okay, um, like, yeah, yeah. Christopher Hitchens, I guess, yeah, like, he, he, know, he's, he, doesn't, he isn't even alive anymore. Right, um, right. But yeah, I guess it's one of those things where that's just kind of what the name is, even if it's not 
exactly no, sure. accurate. I don't, well, I would call it a new a new movement. <laughs> well, and you know, also, <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm probably uh, ruined by being like a millennial who scrolls quickly like it's to be new it has to be like five minutes ago like, you know it's not like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens have been along been around for hundreds of years or anything so yeah it's definitely still relatively new uh, I think but yeah I think Sam Harris is definitely a name that comes to mind um when I think about at least like atheists my age and maybe younger like really are into Sam Harris so I, I get kind of how they're building on each other but anyway sorry interrupt. no no you're good yeah so i mean the new atheists are varied and have you know different views on different things but there are certain things that sort of unite uh what they stand for who they are and i think they are really concerned about religious beliefs or even religious believers uh, i think you could actually pose the, the question in two ways whether you're targeting beliefs or you're targeting believers like people but they're worried that one of these things uh, just doesn't show open-mindedness. Uh, they think religious believers sort of accept their religion without question. They have faith that's problematic uh, in the sense that maybe it just ignores evidence or, it, or even goes against the evidence, okay. maybe even worse. Um, so they're, they're sort of worried, like, religious believers are closed-minded, they're not open to new evidence, they don't look into what they believe, they just sort of believe it and don't think more about it. So they kind of have this criticism of religion. I mean, they have many criticisms of religion, but I think this is one of the big ones. Okay. Sure. And one thing that I think is, is worth noting about them is that you might think, well, yeah, they're sort of characterized by skepticism, and they just tend to kind of be non-committal. And I do think that that's true in some senses. So they're very skeptical of, like, the supernatural realm or miracle claims or evidence for theism. But they're not at all skeptical of other realms, like scientific claims or what scientists say or, uh, uh, you know, okay. the scientific realm. So in, so in some sense, they're actually very trusting. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a specific kind of skepticism, not applied across the board, but in one specific, mm -hmm. more and more so. Yeah. It sounds like, so really their main, their main beef is just maybe like the nature of religious belief, it sounds like. Just to sum up what you've been saying is that they see religious belief as problematic in multiple ways. Yeah, so, I think okay. that's right. And, and and actually the chapter I wrote in the book, we can, we're going to talk about that later, but awesome. uh, it really... It, one thing I really push there is say, like, you don't really have grounds to treat religious beliefs, like, in, in this special way. Like, whatever uh. problems you raise either aren't problems for religious belief or they're problems for a bunch of other stuff, too. So um. you can't. So I kind of try to argue they don't have grounds to uh, sort of just treat religion as this special, irrational thing. Oh, interesting. So. Okay. Awesome. I'm excited yeah. to talk about that. But before we do, we should go ahead and define yeah. then. So that's new, uh, new atheism. So what is new theism? Yeah, so the new theists are basically a group of theists who want to sort of respond to the new atheists, but in a way that engages productive dialogue and doesn't polarize people, but sort of encourages this conversation between the groups to happen. And I think, so one reason we think this is pretty important is because I think there's been a couple different responses to the new atheist movement, um, but they haven't been super productive. So one response is kind of just a really defensive response, yeah. like, no, you guys are wrong, da, 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 da. like, go away, stop talking to me, or, you know, yeah. uh, or, like, just, like, attacking them, like, they're so stupid, whatever. Um, but I really think that this isn't productive. 
effective because it, it, shut that, it shuts down dialogue before it can begin. And it, I think it really reinforces this concern we were just talking about, which is that theists aren't concerned with truth. They're not wanting to find the truth, but instead they're closed-minded. They're not willing to be wrong. They're just sort of holding on to their religious beliefs unquestioningly. Yeah. Um, and they won't give them up under any circumstances. So part of our goal is we don't want to see the new atheists as these enemies, um, but we want to engage with them and we want to kind of start a dialogue. Awesome. So uh, a second response, I guess, so there's this sort of like defensive response that some people have taken. Um, and then the response that I think is more common among academics uh, is just to ignore the new atheists. So just not even talk about them or, or take their work seriously. Really? Okay. Um, like so, um, like secular yeah. academics included? Secular academics and Christian yeah. academics? or yeah. yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Um, the reason for this, I think, is, you know, it is true that the new atheists are doing philosophy and at least in some sense doing philosophy in the sense that they're making philosophical claims like God does not exist. That's a philosophical claim. Right. Faith is irrational. That's a philosophical claim, you know. Um, but they're not necessarily trying to make substantial contributions to philosophy of religion or if they're trying to, they aren't. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like their arguments are definitely influential. They have this big cultural impact and, I think they've influenced a broad audience a lot. And people have heard of The God Delusion, for example, right, or yeah. uh, Sam Harris's book, I think it's called The Moral Landscape. Yeah. But these aren't really new arguments. They're not really engaging big developments in philosophy religion. And so I think because of that, a lot of academics have just kind of ignored them. Okay. Um, so, this, so, so part of what the new theists want to do is sort of put things that, like, take a third way um yeah where they don't they don't just engage with them but defensively or put them down but they also uh don't ignore them but they take them seriously so the new theists started basically as a movement started with sort of philosophers and theologians but i don't think we want it to necessarily be limited to just those people or to kind of even more academic people so we're interested in it also being like a broad movement that engages a, a wide audience, not just kind of an academic thing. And I guess the, the first kind of thing that the movement did is we published the book that we talked about earlier. And so basically, uh, again, like I said, it's just kind of a collection of essays from people who identify as new theists. And if you're really interested in the movement, you can, the first chapter of the book is basically just all about the new theist movement and kind of what they're about and gives some background on the new atheist movement too. So that's a place to sort of look for more uh, if you're interested. Awesome. And that's so, good. Yes. You don't want to give away all your secrets here. We want people to go buy your book. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and before I move on, I wanted to flag just one more thing, which is that I do think, and this is actually sort of related to your question earlier about like, why is it called the new atheist? Um, but I do think that in some sense, the new atheist movement isn't as big as it once was. It doesn't have as many followers as it once did. Um, but I still think we shouldn't underestimate kind of the large influence that it has. And I think also the fact that it hasn't been adequately responded to or addressed by theists. So um, that's part of sort of what motivates this new theist thing. But I also think that the new theists are part of a broader movement which is basically trying to take these arguments that are made by academic theologians and philosophers and sort of get them out there and make them more accessible to the general public. Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially because I think there's this kind of person who, you know, maybe they 
grew up in a Christian home or something like that, but then they see some argument for atheism and they're just totally convinced by it. Yeah. And they're like, this is just the end of the story, you know? Yeah. But I, I just think a lot of times people aren't aware that there's actually really sophisticated responses that theists have provided and right. a lot of dialogue has gone on. Um, but that that's not always either not accessible or just the general public's not not fully aware of it. Yeah, that um, reminds me of that. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, you go ahead and then I'll throw in my little anecdote, but yes. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I'm just super personally passionate about sort of bringing uh, academic philosophers and theologians and the general public together and um, sort of starting that dialogue. I think it's super important. So Right. I think yeah. you're so right. It's so yeah. <laughs> needed. Um, it makes what you were saying, you know, I definitely know people who it seems like you know, they had fairly um, devout faith or whatever, whatever the case may be. They were at least like very interested in Christianity. And then it seems like sometimes it just took like one little Bart Ehrman thing or something and they're just done. They're just like, oh, I guess everything I believed was a lie. And like, like you said, there's not, there has been a lot of thought and dialogue and back and forth and arguments made. And so it's, it's not, it doesn't need to be so reactionary, I guess. I know you heard that, maybe you've heard of that guy. Uh, he was like a songwriter for um, Hillsong. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just basically was like, well, I'm not a Christian anymore because of these pretty simple arguments that lots of philosophers, religion, you know, lots of Christian philosophers have made pretty compelling arguments for, but I'm done. And everybody wrote on his Instagram and was like, hey man, you know, these questions have some answers if you want to like look into them. And then he just <laughs> deleted his Instagram post. <laughs> but, you know, oh gosh. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it got really like, it was very sad. But you know, I mean, I think that speaks to what you're saying is like these arguments that people are probably interested in are out there but they just don't necessarily know where to find them and they're not prevalent in culture necessarily. So they don't even come across them. But I think your book yeah. sounds like it's timely. Yeah, and, and like I said before, the new atheists are just so... They're almost how names, at least some of them, yeah. you know? But like a lot of people like have no idea who, you know, some Christian philosopher is or, right. you know... So I, so I guess what I would love to do is have a similar... I mean, in some ways, similar theist movement that really does try to engage the general public and try to be accessible, but also is characterized by both open-mindedness and kind of argumentative rigor. So yeah. I think that's kind of what what the new theists are striving for. Yeah, because yeah. would, would, like, William Lane Craig be categorized as a new theist? Would he be in the realm? Is he, like, an OG <laughs> of the new theists? <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, I mean, potentially, for yeah. sure. He didn't contribute to the book at all. Because mm, he's the uh, most famous one that I know. You know, like that's, yeah. but I, I would, I would probably assume that more people know who Christopher Hitchens is than they know who William Lane Craig is. Maybe, maybe not. I don't have any way of saying, I mean, maybe they're on like the same level. Um, I think you're right. Like as far as Christian deep thinkers go, I think people think of maybe William Lane Craig and C.S. Lewis, <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. those are the, right, the pillars. I mean, Craig is a contemporary philosopher, but there's all these other people out there too. Yes. Um, and people that disagree with Craig on certain things and make different arguments than him and have different theologies than him. And I think it's good for that, like, to have to see that variety, too. Yeah. You might hate Craig's theory of the atonement, but there's Christian philosophers defending lots of other theories, too. Yeah. So, I mean, Alan Planning is another one that I think, oh, like, yes. yeah. you might have heard of. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I do think that there's, like, there's just a lot of, and, and, and part of it's names, but part of it's ideas, too. Like, really interesting work that's being done that people just you know, people just don't know about. So yeah. anyway, that's, that's part of the goal. That's the book, man. Awesome. Um, and I know, so like you said earlier, 
uh, this book is doing lots of things, but partly it is for less polarizing dialogue. Why do you think the dialogue has gotten so polarizing in the first place? Which, you know, I'm sure it's it's partly speculation, right? I mean, dialogue in pretty much every important area of life has gotten pretty polarizing in the last <laughs> decade or so. But maybe why do you think specifically it's happened between theists and uh, atheists? Yeah, so... I mean, one obvious point, I guess, is just, like, disagreement's hard, and disagreeing well is hard. And these theists and these atheists really, really deeply disagree about really fundamental questions about the nature of reality. Um, And so I think it it really does take virtue and and intellectual courage to be able to disagree well and to be able to respect someone even though you disagree with them. Um, And so I do think part of it is just this deep disagreement um, without being intentional about the way you disagree, I think that can just polarize things automatically. Yeah, so I, I think that that's one reason. Um, but I think another reason, I mean, I think there's two more reasons and both have to do with each side. So um, I think the new atheists, they don't just think like theism is, is false or something. Like they're not just saying there's no God. I mean, they're saying that. Yeah. They're saying more than that. Yeah. They're saying some really strong things like, in some cases, it almost seems like they think that being a theist is immoral in some sense, or at least it causes you to do immoral things, or irrational, it's epistemically crazy, uh, it's super harmful to society to be religious, or religion really harms society. Um, at the very least, they just really dislike religion. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've um, encountered so, these people on the internet. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I don't yeah. want to put them all in one basket. No, no, no. No, they all think religion is immoral necessarily but there is kind of a spectrum of views from immoral to i just don't really like it right right uh where they're just kind of yeah they're just not not fans yeah (laughs) not fans of religion it's not like oh i I don't believe in god but i want it to be true like that's not that right right yeah um so like it's fine that you think that it's like like no it's not fine yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) got it um but i think also too theists especially like maybe if you're a Christian, for example, uh, you tend to care about what other people believe about Christianity. You tend to care about evangelism and conversion. Uh, Sometimes uh, a lot of Christians think there's infinite stakes involved in uh, things like, you know, people's worldviews. So Christians really care about what these new atheists believe as well and think that, you know, there's there's some sense in which they, it's bad for them to believe that. Right. Both because it's false, but also because, like, eternity's at stake, you know? So yeah. I think both groups are in some sense wanting to change the other or dissatisfied where the other's at. Yeah. And I think that that really makes it polarizing. Yeah. So. I think you're right. I yeah. think that probably does get to the heart of it, is that it's, there, it's high stakes things for both people, you know? Like, mm-hmm. for different, maybe for different reasons. You're mm-hmm. essentially arguing about something that is very important to you and that is generally hard to do without some some polarization so I think it's a noble goal so and maybe you guys get into this in the book or maybe the book just organically addresses it does this um but how does how does that polarization get addressed and improved so I think there's a couple things um one thing I think that's just really important is just finding points of agreement and this comes back to that first point about how it's really hard when you disagree with someone so I think when you can realize like we don't disagree on everything we do have some points of agreement we have some common goals I I think that can help a lot and both new theists and new atheists I think we both really want to seek the truth honestly 
And that is something that the new theists are really putting forth and saying, you know, we're not just uh, believing that God exists for no reason. And if we are, then we shouldn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we want to have good reasons for our beliefs. We want to be epistemically honest. We want to be open-minded and careful with the evidence and uh, show, you know, open-mindedness and intellectual courage. And so I think part of part of our vision is that we're not like enemies fighting each other and just tearing each other's arguments down, but we're kind of building a body of knowledge together. And we, we hope that we can at least do that in some sense, even though we still have some deep disagreements. Yeah. So that I think yeah. is probably the key is, and I think you're right to kind of zero in on truth seeking. I, of all the Christians I know, I can think of maybe a couple who are maybe really attached to a certain way of thinking about God without thinking thoroughly about it. But very many of them, I would say, you know, and myself included, like it does, it bothers the idea that I would be believing something just because I want to believe it, like bothers me. I don't want that. You know, I want to, I want to honestly seek out what the truth is. And I think, like you said, if, if that's understood between theists and atheists, then seems like there should be smoother sailing between the two. Yeah, I mean, like, what Paul literally says, if Christ wasn't raised, this is all in vain. For him, it's not just this thing that's like, oh, let's just believe it, because that would be super cool, you know? But it's like, no, this is actually, like, a claim about reality that can be falsified, and if false, then what's the point, you know? So I do think think having that attitude is actually really productive um, for these kinds of dialogues, because you're not just kind of here's my commitment and I refuse to listen to what you're saying, but you are really open to kind of hearing new evidence and, um, and hopefully the other side is as well. Right. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I wanted to add here too, like one thing that's I think really encouraging and something that everyone might not be aware of is when it comes to philosophers, um, in philosophy of religion, there is, uh, both theists and atheists that work in philosophy of religion that are in dialogue with each other. And of course, there's disagreement among the theists and disagreement among the atheists. But a, a big part of the dialogue is kind of between the theists and the atheists. But that dialogue is just really productive. Um, people are really respectful, encouraging, open-minded. The theists are totally willing to be like, wow, atheist, that's an awesome argument you just made. Yeah. Um, and vice versa. And both groups acknowledge like, yeah, like your belief is potentially rational i'm not just saying you're an irrational idiot because you disagree with me yeah. you know what i mean um which that doesn't always happen in, <laughs> in other realms right and so in I guess, on the cultural yeah. stage it's more just like wow how dumb <laughs> you know yeah. she's like not helpful right. at all um right. but that sounds like just, way more productive stuff happening i think i mean in some ways it, it's just it's encouraging to me to see people disagreeing well and disagreeing well about such fundamental questions too Um, And so I hope that, like, some of this can translate over to sort of these public dialogues as well. And, you know, these these more uh, public things that involve theists versus atheists. Yes. Uh, I would love to see it in a similar way, both groups saying, you're smart, you're rational, you've thought through this, like, let's talk more, you know? Oh, yeah. What if, like, what if Joe Rogan (laughs) had on... a new theist and wasn't a total jerk about it and <laughs> they had like yeah. a a accessible fun conversation about something that would be cool that would be like a monumental cultural moment 
hasn't happened, I don't think, as far as I know, <laughs> on the cultural, yeah. the big, the big <laughs> widely consumed cultural stage. I don't think that's happened yet, but maybe this is the start, you know? Getting this. So in your opinion, now that you've, you know, contributed to this book and probably thought a lot about this, what are the strongest arguments that the new atheists make? I mean, I'm sure they make lots of arguments, but we can just narrow it down to the ones that you think are, you know, maybe the most persuasive. Yeah. I mean, one thing that the new atheists push that has been just a huge, I mean, probably the number one topic in philosophy of religion, maybe, I mean, or one of the biggest, um, it's just the problem of evil. And yeah. I know it's a really classic topic, but there's been so much discussion about this. Um, in philosophy, but also the New Atheists as well. And um, a lot of times the New Atheists, they'll describe some really awful evil and then kind of say, like, how could this a powerful good God allow this, you know? Um, and I, some people sort of respond to that, and they say, well, that's kind of an appeal to emotion. That's not really fair. Um, but I actually personally think that in order to really fully answer understand and answer eventually answer the problem of evil i do think that that requires some level of emotional involvement and understanding and the pain and suffering that people have gone through yeah. and so i actually don't think it's terrible to give specific examples of evils uh when we're thinking about the problem of evil mm -hmm. i think um i i think the problem of evil is just a really challenging argument yeah it's, it's probably the best argument uh, against theism, and so yeah. that—that's probably what I would say is, is, is their strongest uh, argument. I would, I would yeah. just agree with you, just from um, you know, a for a point, just living, living life, talking to people um who aren't philosophers. That definitely seems to be the hardest one, you know, for most people yeah. to wrap their minds around. Jeff and I were actually just talking about it because he preached on suffering mm. two Sundays ago. And our church is full of very nice, uh, very uh, encouraging people. And they usually come up after and tell him it's so great and everything. That, that still happened. But there were, like, quite a few that were like, oh, well, what about this? And what about, you know, like, it, like, actually, like, elicited a little more, like, resistance to the idea that, you know, suffering can be used for good and has been used for good. Like, you know, just it's it's a hard, hard one for sure. And, like, I, mean, I think it is partly because, like you said, like, you can't really separate the emotion. You were saying, I think it is somewhat, I mean, it's reasonable to appeal to emotion when you're talking about suffering because... You don't have suffering separate from your feeling. Yep. So what are the um, what are yeah. the strongest new theist arguments? Yeah, so I like this question because um, it gives me a chance to talk a little more about like the specifics of the book and kind of what's in the book. So basically, the book has three main sections. The first is God and reason. The second is God and morality. And the third is God and theology. Ooh, cool. So that's kind of how it's laid out. But God and Reason, uh, I think, addresses basically two things. So the first is, is just direct evidence that supports theistic beliefs or gives answers to these issues like the problem of evil. Um, and then the second is sort of this charge that theists are irrational or faith is irrational. So that's not necessarily directly about whether God exists, but it's sort of about whether belief in God is... Uh, you know, is epistemically rational or is, you know, a good thing or a bad thing to have uh, as supported by evidence, that kind of thing. So so that's the first section. And I guess uh, I like that section a lot, partially because that's related to my philosophical research. But it's cool because they do talk about old arguments, but they sort of give updated versions of them. So 
so some of your listeners might be familiar with like the cosmological argument mm-hmm. William Lane Craig talks about this actually goes way back but yes. there's some kind of updated versions of that uh like having to do with infinities and and, and some different stuff um there's also a chapter about moral knowledge uh, why that's evidence for theism. Again, like I said, responses to the problem of evil. And this is also where my chapter is, which is on faith. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. But one of one of my favorite arguments here is actually, I think the moral knowledge argument is really interesting. Um, and here's the basic argument. So it starts with this idea that we have moral knowledge, at least for in some cases. So we know that helping this old lady across the street or giving money to charity, we know those things are morally good. And we know that torturing a baby for fun is morally bad, you know. Right. Um, even if there's some questions about morality that are harder yeah. uh, or hotly debated, there's certain things we know. Absolutely. And so um, two of my friends, actually, uh, Philip Swinson and Dustin Crummett, wrote this paper. And basically what it argues is that given that we have this knowledge, that's more likely... Uh, on a theistic worldview than on an atheistic worldview. And so the idea is like, it's actually, it's not totally clear how we would have these knowledge of moral truths kind of given um, atheism and the way that evolution would sort of develop our cognitive faculties. But given theism, um, it's like pretty clear that God would want us to have knowledge, moral knowledge, you know, um, that's really important part of how we have to live. So even though the argument doesn't necessarily say, like, theism is 100% true and atheism is probability zero or something, yeah. um, it, it, it sort of gives theism, like, a boost over atheism. And right. I, I think it's kind of an interesting... Yeah. I, I, I find the argument pretty pretty persuasive, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I... And just, so. like, just... um, I'm sure... I'm sure your friends probably lay it out in much more interesting, like, persuasive, thoughtful terms than I have encountered it before, but I think that is a super compelling argument, like... The idea that, you know, how do we call things good and evil? And there are things, like you said, that that we just know. And I know people like will do lots of lots of crazy things to try to make the claim that we we don't really know. That's just our opinion or whatever. But like I there are just things, you know, like you just know, like you said, torturing a baby is evil. Like you just you do and you can. But how do you know that? I think that is an interesting question to ponder. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was just going to talk a little bit about the other chapbook um but there's also another section about about morality and you know that section isn't arguing like all atheists are immoral or anything like that but it actually kind of gives arguments sort of along the lines of the one we just talked about basically it challenges this idea that uh you can give a moral framework that's entirely secular like in a satisfactory way yeah um and i think that's yeah i think that's interesting it also, there's a one or two chapters kind of on, like, political issues that come up with, uh, you know, the relationship between church and state. That's, you know, that is something that the new atheists talk about and are interested in. Um, and then the third section is about certain theological doctrines. That's a shorter section, but it's kind of saying, like, we can understand the atonement in a way, like, there are maybe views of the atonement that have problems, but there are ways to understand the atonement that can kind of get around these big problems that the, the new atheists talk about. So that's sort of the overall structure of the book. Cool. It sounds really good. Yeah. Um, and your yeah. chapter is on faith. Um, and so just <laughs> like, I do think, you know, keep some of your cards close here because we want people <laughs> to go read the book. But for those who 
cannot or will not, you know, what's the main <laughs> thing you want them to know about faith and how it pertains to, you know, maybe some of these arguments? Yeah, so actually, when I when I started this chapter, I knew it was going to be about faith. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Um, and so I went and I basically got electronic copies of just a bunch of books uh, written by new atheists. And I went and I did control F <laughs> and I typed in the word faith and I just read, sometimes it was a whole chapter, sometimes it was a section, sometimes it was just a paragraph or, you know, and I just read, I tried to read a lot of the stuff that they wrote on faith. I'm sure I didn't read all of it, but I read a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and so basically what I came up with is that I think they're pushing something like this argument. And this, I'm not saying this is all they're saying about faith, right, but this right. is one of the big things they, they say about things faith. that were coming up and, over and over again. Yeah, exactly. So it's this, um, and I, and it's in premise conclusion form, but it's super easy. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to say it and then I'll remind people if it gets confusing, but the first premise is this, it's everyone, or at least almost everyone who has faith is irrational. Basically saying faith is irrational. Uh, second premise says that theistic or religious believers have faith. All theistic or religious believers have faith. So from those two premises, it follows that all or at least most uh, theistic believers are irrational. And so that's, I think, a version of the argument that they're pushing. And then what they're trying to do is defend both of those things. Basically, that faith is irrational and faith is something that most theists or religious believers have. So in order to kind of resist this, what I did then did is looked at a bunch of different candidates for what faith might be. So I think I ended up looking at like eight or nine different possibilities. So some of the possibilities I considered are faith is just by definition an unjustified or irrational attitude, Faith is a self-justifying attitude. The things we have faith in are things that we don't inquire into, that we don't look for evidence for. Faith are beliefs that are not based on evidence. Faith that are faith is beliefs that aren't based on scientific or empirical evidence. Uh, and then I did like specific versions of these, like faith are things that are falsifiable. And basically, for every single one of these candidates, I argued that either the first premise is false. And on that understanding of faith, faith just isn't irrational at all. Oh. <laughs> or the second premise is false. And even if faith would be irrational on that understanding of faith, there's no reason to think that theistic believers would have faith. So basically, no matter how we define faith, the conclusion doesn't follow. We can't say that most theists or most religious believers are irrational. So that's, that's basically my chapter. Cool. Yeah. That sounds really yeah. um, sounds really interestingly done. I like I like your approach there. You know, it kind of reminds me of I was listening to a William Lane Craig lecture. I, it was actually really weird. It wasn't a lecture. I think he was just speaking to like a church or something. He was basically just sharing his testimony. Um, oh, but he included some stuff about how he prepares for his lectures, and he said that. He goes in and he finds every video and every book and every uh, thing created, written, produced by the person he's going to have a debate with and um, looks for the arguments that they repeat the most and then creates um, a binder, <laughs> a binder specifically, that has each argument and at least three to five rebuttals or questions 
for the person for that specific, you know, for their favorite argument that they're making. Um, and then he has his own little background thoughts and knowledge and arguments that he's going to make um, within the binder. And he also said he, he rarely wow. uses it, but he likes to take it with him. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's a lot of, a lot of work, but that's why you're William Lane Craig. <laughs> that's so intense. Yeah. I mean, what I did wasn't nearly that intense. Control F. But, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's important when we're replying to people to like, and this is again, part of the whole new theist thing is we do want to try to be as charitable as possible and not just be like, you're dumb, blah, blah, blah. But like actually try to latch on to what they're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and actually what William Lane Craig does is actually kind of a, a good way of doing that. Cause he's actually reading like everything they write, which is super impressive. It yeah. takes so much work. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing is like engaging in good, honest dialogue takes work it's not easy it's much easier to just tell people that they're dumb but like hopefully in the end it's worth it and it's rewarding but i do think yeah we have to be willing to put in the work if if we want to you know have this 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 honest uh fruitful dialogue with with people that we disagree with so who who should go buy this book you know what audience is going to most enjoy it oh yeah sure so i guess there's a couple different groups of people i would recommend this book for um, I think just in general, people that are interested in philosophy of religion will be interested in this book because it is a lot of philosophers of religion writing and it does have new arguments or updates to existing arguments that I think a lot of people who are kind of already interested in philosophy of religion will find interesting. Uh, uh, interested, interesting. Yeah, but I also think people who are just sort of interested in the theism versus atheism debate and kind of these bigger worldview questions, even if they're not necessarily coming at it from a philosophy of religion standpoint will also find it interesting because that is sort of what the book centers around like all of the the section titles are god and something you know so it's a lot of it is really about this like theism versus atheism question um and then also people that are interested in the new atheist movement um or atheism in general people that uh identify as new atheists if if there are people like that out there or people who are sympathetic to the movement or people who are just like dissatisfied with the movement. I think all those people will be interested in it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, anyone who ever has read The God Delusion <laughs> <laughs> uh, might also, no, I don't know. But like, I know people have read books by these new atheists and either found them interesting or found them awful or somewhere in between. Right. Um, so I think, but I do think people that were interested enough to read those books would probably be interested in this book too. Awesome. Um, and I guess I wanted to note, too, that, like, it is a scholarly book, it is written by philosophers, but we were also told, like, really make your pieces as accessible as possible, don't use technical jargon, that kind of thing. So Sweet. the idea is that it's yeah. hopefully more readable than something published in, like, a professional academic journal. Oh, very example. cool. Okay, um, gotcha. So hopefully that'll help a little bit. I mean, I also wanted to say here, um, the book is kind of expensive, and unfortunately we can't control that, that's yeah. totally the publisher's choice. But I think the Kindle price is somewhere around $30, which is a lot more affordable. Yeah. But also, if you're interested in a chapter specifically, or even a few chapters, you should just e- email the author, and they will totally just send you their draft for free. Um, and also, I wanted to mention, too, you can kind of do this with academic papers in general. If there's a paper you want, but you can't access it, usually if you email the author, they'll just send it to you. So, <laughs> oh, <sweet. laughs> so that's kind of a way people can at least get some of the content without paying because yeah. it is expensive and um, annoyingly that money isn't actually really given to the authors 
at all. It's just, it's really the publisher who kind of gets the profit of that. Right. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, sorry about the price. So it sounds so. like the book is, you know, fairly accessible then and intentionally so, but maybe for those who are like still a little bit intimidated by the idea um, of reading a book like this, what would maybe be a good like little baby step for first book to read before you move on to Liz's book? Yeah, so I guess when I was thinking about this, um, I sort of was thinking back to, you know, some of the earlier stuff I mentioned about kind of taking what's going on in philosophy of religion and theology and kind of connecting that with broader audiences. And one thing that I've been kind of excited about and impressed by is these organizations who basically exist to take these philosophical intense arguments or whatever and just try to make them kind of broadly accessible and um, I do think that's actually part of what your podcast is doing. Oh, thanks. Uh, maybe not your, your primary goal, <laughs> yes. but I definitely think you would be someone I'd put on the list. But yeah, thank I've also, you. Um, I've done interviews with uh, this organization called Capturing Christianity, yeah. who some of you might have heard with. Another one, it's not, not as, uh, it, it's kind of started more recently, but it's called Crash Course Apologetics. And they both have YouTube channels and Facebook pages. Um, and basically what they do is they take content from these academics who are working on topics in religion uh, and related fields, and they're just trying to make it accessible. And, you know, they kind of have fun videos. They do interviews, but sometimes they just, like, have, like, a, a video where they illustrate an argument in kind of, like, a fun and easy-to-follow way. So I would recommend looking looking at those as well. Uh, if you're kind of not down to sort of read a, a more academic book, yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of really good content um, on YouTube and, and on social media channels as well. Yes, yeah, Jeff just discovered that guy who referenced you. I forgot his name. Oh, Mike Winger. Mike, Mike Winger is another one I should mention. He does a lot of um, sort of like biblical exegesis and more of the theology side of things, but he's great. I've talked to him a couple times and, and he puts out awesome content also so he's another person I would recommend I I'm not as into the world of YouTube as some people yeah but I'm you know I, I I've I've been on a few YouTube things but but yeah I think uh if you start looking I, I think you'll you'll find there's there's a lot more out there than, than I even thought yeah uh, which is kind of fun like even sometimes in classes, like, I'll be teaching some argument, and I'll be Googling it and, like, looking around, and then there's this awesome YouTube video with, like, the <laughs> argument, and it's like, what? So it's cool. Like, the internet has so much. Yes. So. <laughs> the, the YouTube yeah. rabbit hole is very real. <laughs> like, you find something you really like, and soon, like, 978 videos later, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. I guess that's that's a, a pro and a con sometimes. Right. You're like, whoa, this is a lot. <laughs> but no, I think that is good advice um, for sure. But, you know, I'm also, but I'm happy to hear that your book, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised by this because, like I said, I think you do a good job of explaining things in, in, an, in an accessible way. But just because my brief experience of studying philosophy in college by brief like you know a hot second was a little bit hard not it was very um it felt very much like I I felt like I was I was missing a lot you know like I was like uh I feel like there's gaps here that I need to fill before I can fully understand this but it sounds like your book does is is pretty comprehensive you guys are kind of you're addressing a lot of the gaps like just in the way you said it was structured it sounds like it would be a good actually like maybe a good starting place for somebody even if they feel a little bit intimidated 
could still dive in and see what happens. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it, it was supposed to be an accessible thing, and there's always the balance between wanting to be rigorous and wanting to be accessible, yes. and, and, it, and it can be hard, but I, I should mention, too, I actually did some blog posts um, where what part of what I did was actually summarize some of my papers on faith, and one of them is on this paper specifically, oh. and so it's actually like a fourth of the length or even shorter, and it doesn't go through all of the detail that this paper does, but maybe we can link to that in the show yes. notes. Yes, people are going to want to look into that, so I will definitely do that, so we will do that here as we wrap up, so I think... Awesome! Man, we covered it. I'm super excited. When I saw you wrote a book, I was like, Jeff, look, Liz wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) Got to talk to her about it. Got to see what's going on with this. Um, And it sounds like it will not disappoint. So thank you so much for being on the podcast again with me and just chatting. It's always fun to just catch up since you're a busy, busy philosopher lady. We're making things happen. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's been really great uh, and it's fun. It's fun to talk about this stuff. I love your podcast and what you guys are up to too, so enjoy it. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will.